Let's get it started. Okay, well, welcome to the election night results meeting. Thanks for coming to this pop-up. Uh, we appreciate you guys taking time out of your evening. Let's get right into it. So, David and Charles, how are you guys feeling generally about the election results that have come out so far? Um, I'm feeling really, really positive, and I've moved from, so like the way that I go through elections periods, election, let's say windows, is I, I climb a ladder uh, and I start with like the lowest rung and the ladder is like an increasingly positive and a kind of energized ladder. But I start with disaster. So disasters at the lowest rung and maybe I stay there. And then the next one is like not great, but we're going to survive. And then the next one is like, okay, now it's like getting to be like modestly not horrible. And then to like, okay, and then to like, okay, all right, all right, this is not looking bad, up increasingly so. And I'm I'm like about eight out of 10 rungs up it right now. So some people progress through alcohol, I progress through rungs on a ladder, and uh, I'm up on like eight out of 10 feeling that it's, it's remarkably positive right now for where, and, and certainly relative to where it could be, it's really, 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 really great. Um, and it has the potential to go probably one rung more. Um, and so I'm super excited about where we're at. And as we'll talk about here, and Charles and I have already had a little bit of conversation about this, there are some things here that are way more exciting than, than even 20, than 2020. Yeah, I, I, it's really, we're going to have to unpack that offline. You, you get high on rungs. I don't, um, that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> for for me, I, um, I've always liked a little bit of chaos, especially when it's real close to something that's going to be, um, that's going to be a, a milestone moment. And I like to sit in the middle of it. And so being on the ground in a state like Georgia with our community was exactly where I wanted to be. And uh, for me, uh, I, I just looking around and seeing the teamwork, seeing our, our leaders, um, you know, show folks how to do the work out in the field and listening to our partner organizations respond to us in a certain way. And all of that motion and movement and sound and emotion is, I love it. I'm at, I'm like, that's my, that, that's my drug right there is being around people and being around people who are moving and, and doing something. And so I, I, I always, um, people make fun of me because, um, <laughs> because I, I, I say that I like these things and it sounds super corny. Um, or I say things like we've already won. Um, but I feel like that. That's exactly how I feel when I'm in the field. I don't just say that because it sounds, you know, like something that we should all try to feel like I actually feel like that. I feel like what we have created here, the work that we do, I feel like it's remarkable. I feel like it's magical. I feel like it uh, and, and like every alternate universe, it, it wouldn't exist and it doesn't. But in this one, something magical happened and we are there. And so I just I just soak it up. I soak it up. And in that moment, I I'm satisfied. I feel really good. Yeah, I feel really great too. So it's interesting. A lot of people were expecting this election season for there to be a red wave. Um, can you explain what that is, what that expectation was coming into it and how these midterm election results have defied this ex expectation of a red wave? 
Do you see this interviewing that's going on here? This is like solid interviewing. Dude, she's so good. Okay. She's so good. Yeah. She's like, can you define your language, please? And then also, also, okay. Um, so. Uh, Wait, let me go first, then you can do the scientific okay. one. Okay. Bunch of people who've been lying to us for months and years tried to convince us that their lies were going to keep on being true. Um, and that was a lie. It was a lie. There was no red wave. There was never going to be a red wave. Um, but it was enough to scare us. So that's my non-scientific version. Go ahead, David. Oh, well, I'll, I'll kind of meet you there. Um, I'll start with we've had the most successful midterm election for, for the party that holds the White House since 2002, the aftermath of 9-11. And I know many people on this call remember that those sets of months after 9-11 and the way the country was scared and also angry um, and rallied behind George W. Bush, who had been, you know, put into the White House in this very complicated, controversial way with the Supreme Court decision. Um, and we are on the verge that we, we have had a similarly successful, not quite as successful in the House, but right there with the Senate and that the, the Democrats look like they're going to hold the U.S. Senate. Uh, we'll see in this hour. We'll get a little bit of information, as I said, um, how that's going, but it's looking pretty good. And in the House, the Dems look like they're going to lose the House, but very narrowly. Um, and they still have a chance to not lose the House. Um, so it's really remarkable. So how did that happen? Despite 8% inflation, despite a president whose presidential approval ratings are in the mid mid to low 40s, we did it because we do what what common power does, which is you try. You try. All right. You have no guarantees, but you try. And we went out there and we knocked doors everywhere we could. And so did millions of Americans. And we made That's phone right. calls and we turned out to vote and we overcame as best we can voter suppression in a number of places. And so we're good. That's the model is, first of all, you got to show up and try. And that like Raphael Warnock, one of our heroes and the guy we're going back out there to work for shortly. Um, doesn't he say that all the time, Charles? That like half of it, two thirds of it, is just showing up. All it's right? just it's just showing up. Yeah. He also says that a vote is like a prayer, and that talk, that speaks to the faith and the hope and the uncertainty of voting, uh, but still believing and still taking action uh, based on that belief. Uh, the other thing I heard, which is really I think talks about the American people, and this is the I think it's a Lincoln quote. Chat, you got to help me. You got to help me in the chat here. Um, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And so that it, it hit a limit. It hit a limit and they were trying to fool all of us all the time. And it was just too, too much, too far. And people said they called bullshit, basically. Yes, exactly. So so what were the race, some of the races that really surprised us in this midterm election with the results, with the candidates? What are some that really surprised us on election night? In terms of surprise, I started with like hoping, hoping, and then got to, again, up the rungs a ladder to like, damn, yeah, this is great. John Fetterman's victory in Pennsylvania. All right. Um, Fetterman is a, is a, is a, a laboratory specimen um, and flawed in all those kinds of ways that a laboratory specimen, kind of Frankenstein meets 
like a like a politician but also oh, let, let, yeah let's dig into that he's flawed as a, as a candidate you're saying he's a he's an experiment as a candidate right yeah exactly right you know he's a he's a a white working class attempt there to win go. back folks in the midwest that mm -hmm. uh, and kenny also though appealed not just to white working class but to communities of color because that's such a crucial body of voters in america generally and in the democratic coalition particularly so you know julia i started the night on election night with everybody on the zoom here saying we will not know tonight about pennsylvania we will not have results tonight so let's not even spend time on that because there's so many votes out there that won't be counted let's not know and then before we were done at 9 p.m pacific time Fetterman had been declared the winner because he won so convincingly in that state. He ran ahead of Joe Biden in almost every county in the state. All right. Uh, and there and Michigan, to me, are some of, and some of the greatest successes that, that Common Power is paying a lot of attention to here. Because you have these coalitions of very strong communities of color historically in a Philadelphia, a Pittsburgh, a Detroit, a Saginaw, Michigan. Um, merging together with these highly educated popu younger populations that are coming up to elect a Summer Lee in Pennsylvania, the first black woman to represent Pittsburgh. Um, so these kind of coalitions, they're different than the South coalitions, but they're darn interesting too. So I'm really surprised to see kind of the, the Midwest rainbow. If we have a summer, if we have a Southern smile for the states we're focused on in common power, we also kind of have a little bit of a Midwest rainbow going on right now. Midwest rainbow. I like that a lot. Uh, what you're saying about Pennsylvania is really interesting. That, that's I was on the ground there um, in Cartwright's district, knocking on doors, and I'd never been to a place like that before. Never ever been up there. What are you and talking about? It, Where are you at? Describe it to us a little bit more. You and Julia were both out there. That's right. We were. Uh, it was. Uh, it was Northwest Pennsylvania. Northeast. What is that? Northeast. Northeast. North. Sorry. Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, it is, it is east of Scranton, I think. Is it, is it just east of Scranton? Um, and you're basically up in the mountains up there and it's not, it's forest and you're driving through forest to get to these turfs and people live up there. Um, and they're not in cabins, they're in, in full on houses. Um, uh, but some of the roads are paved, most of them aren't. And some of them are, you know, right through forests. And in those neighborhoods are, are families of black people that are Democrats. Um, there are Blue Lives Matter flags with Democrat voters there. There are big pickup trucks with American flags on the back with black families inside and Democratic voters. I learned a lot of lessons about biases and about Pennsylvania and about what the future of voting could look like in that region. Um, somebody in the chat, you talked about surprises. Somebody mentioned uh, first Gen Z member of Congress there in Florida. Florida was maybe a surprise to some folks because they expected more out of that state um but it was it was uh, there was a lot of losses in florida and that was one bright spot for people that i think surprised a lot of folks um and you know it, it doesn't it doesn't make a ton of difference in terms of numbers but um what he means to a generation of young voters is is huge um so that's one new york probably surprised some people too a lot of what happened in New York. New York is a is a mess, and they got a lot of cleaning up to do. A lot of defense that needs to be played in New York. Um, I would love to go up and work in New York. Let uh, me say something. Let me jump. Go ahead. Up. Go ahead. Yeah, please. So, 
uh, New York and Florida have arguably two of the, the, the worst Democratic state parties in the country. Not organized, internal fighting, yeah. you know, you know, you know, where's the leadership? And, and you look at the disasters that are occurring there politically this election and, 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 and many elections in a row. New York has been, New York is still highly blue as a state, but should be like more. It should be even more, all right? Contrast that with some of the very best Democratic parties in the, in the country, Michigan, Wisconsin, Washington State, where we're making enormous progress. So that, that kind of like 24-7 organizing approach that goes on in those better states says common power doesn't live there, but kind of says we're ready. We're ready. You call us at 630 in the morning on Election Day from Pennsylvania. We're ready to make calls for you. We're ready to go. Yeah, I, I would put. Did you say Wisconsin? I'd I put did. Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay, and I would put Arizona in there. Uh-huh. I put Nevada yeah. in there. Um, and then, right. it, 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 despite the results yesterday, I would say Georgia as well. Or Tuesday, I would say Georgia as well. Yeah, Georgia's just Georgia's just trying to fight through the muck of transformation, yeah. right? And so they've made some steps, and it's going to be a battle. But by the end of this decade, I think that'll be a solid blue state. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Hey, Jay, yeah, and, there, and there's there's I, just last piece on Georgia. Um, there's there's really really strong voter suppression going on there, and that they've got a lot that they're fighting against. They're fighting against generations worth of that perfected almost. Absolutely, right. no question about it. Um, I, put, I just put up on the screen for a second, Julie. I just wanted to highlight this is Monroe County in Pennsylvania. These are the results there, where Ben was leading us, and you all were doing work. Uh, Fetterman won that district by six points. Shapiro won it by ten. That that county, all right. We were part of that, all right. That's what we were part of. Absolutely, David. Thank you. Yeah, so a lot of interesting terms said there. The Midwest smile, you think? <laughs> the Midwest smile? Rainbow. Oh, rainbow. Okay. Yes, very very interesting um, seeing the Midwest turn out um, as a key player in the midterm elections. Uh, Ellen also mentioned in the chat there was a rainbow wave. There was 350 LGBTQ plus new elected representatives from governor positions all the way down to city councils. So that was really refreshing for me to see as well. Um, for me, the piece about the first Gen Z representative in Florida was amazing to me. I was like, wow. So um, the representative's 25 years old. I'm 21. So maybe in four years, I could see myself as a representative. Um, so that's that's amazing, right? Um, I, I genuinely think just like seeing a Gen Z person as a representative was like so inspiring. Definitely one of my highlights for the evening. Um, there was also like a trans individual who's elected as a representative. So across the board, we're seeing a lot of representation, um, especially for my generation. So that made me really happy. Um, some other not so good surprises are certainly the Georgia race and the Texas governor race with Beto and Stacey Abrams. Um, could you speak a little bit, starting with Georgia, about what happened there? Yeah, let's put those together, Charles. Yeah. And talk about those. Go ahead. I mean, so we started talking about them a little bit. I mean, these are the voter suppression there goes all the way back to to slavery, um, and uh, the voting patterns, the um, imprisonment of of uh, of black people there, and the systemic imprisonment of them to disenfranchise their vote. Um, like that was the initial thing. Was is that in some of these states? 
I mean, we could even throw Florida in there. When Reconstruction happened, um, the enslaved people outnumbered white people in those states, and they immediately were able to elect anybody they wanted to. And so um, imprisoning people for petty crimes for long periods of time and taking away their voting rights was how white people retained the vote. That's also where we have this weird runoff thing that we got to do. And there's a bunch of other legacies of, um, of voter suppression specifically targeted against black people that exist in the state still today. Um, so there's, there are these headwinds that people fight up against over and over and over again. And the, the, you see some wins in there, uh, but there's, with the right kind of messaging from the other side, folks are convinced to not go to the polls. Um, you heard this thing about black people, black men not voting for Stacey Abrams, and that carried so much of the headlines about how she was doing in the race. Um, you could see people start to believe it. There are black people who believed it. And what did that do to, to, to suppress that vote? That was that's disinformation right there. That's intentional disinformation about Stacey Abrams. And then you see the result. Um, on Tuesday, and it's nothing like that at all. <laughs> they weren't. They, that that was not Stacey Abrams' weak point. Um, I think that my 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 story for those two states going forward is that all of the capacity that was built under those two candidates is not going to evaporate. No. There are people who worked on those campaigns, who worked on the organizations that are tied to those people, who are going to continue, who are going to be inspired by them. There, there's a ton of bench that's going on. There's ripple effects in smaller races of people who who won because Beto and Stacey were at top of the ticket. Um, we know how to win now because of them in some of these places. We are going to see more of them if they never, ever run again. The legacy of those two individuals on those two states is going to be heard. And, and it, you know, I, I could see the next Gen Z elected officials in Texas and Georgia having Beto and Stacey right next to them as, as mentors. Um, I, I think that the work that um, Abrams in Georgia has done, Beto O'Rourke in uh, <coughs> Texas, is uh, the necessary spade work, like in a garden. You gotta do the work of tilling the soil and, and moving things. And they're not the only ones, they're part of much larger bodies of work there, but they have been catalysts, they have been inspirations. And so I think that we, we don't do them justice uh, to think of them as merely candidates, all right? I think we, we gotta think of them as, as change agents who, who have sought to do all they can. Uh, I don't think any, either one of them will probably ever hold public office or not in the next decade or so. And yet they have been part of massive change and will continue to be so in Georgia and in Texas. Um, so yeah, they're kind of like, uh, they're kind of like uh, voting rights heroes, like civil rights heroes, like people who we, we see in the pantheon of civil rights leadership right now, we hold them up. Um, regardless of where they where they ended their like civil rights careers, there's these voting rights champions who are forever be on the kind of Mount Rushmore of of voting rights in America. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I think it's important to not think of them as just candidates within a singular race, but rather agents of change within a greater system. So absolutely. So we still have, we're still waiting on election results from three states. We have Georgia runoffs, we have Nevada, and we have Arizona. We're still waiting on those three states. 
Um, what are some predictions? What are some things that we can do now between now and um, especially for the Georgia runoffs? What can we do? Let, let me go first, Charles, and then you can take and I'll talk. No, about- I, I see you cooking something, man. You're 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 <laughs> you're like feverishly moving windows around and pulling up images. Let's do that first. Then we can talk about the runoffs. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm going to go first and then you can talk. We can talk about Georgia. So I'm going to show up on the screen and I know on the podcast when you're listening, you won't be able to see it, but I'll walk it through. We're looking at the New York Times page here for the Senate and uh, they're either states are either whited out, which means they didn't have a Senate race this year, or they're blued in that the blue candidate, the Democrat is going to win and has been called for them, or they're gray, um, where we don't have results uh, enough yet to make a call. And there's three gray states. Uh, there's four actually, because Alaska hasn't been called yet either for, but Lisa Murkowski or Kelly uh, uh, Tishabaka will win it. And they're both Republicans. So we're talking about three states where they're really competitive, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. Uh, in Nevada, you can see there's 83% of the vote has been counted. There's about a thousand votes still to be counted in the state that have not been sh- told to us yet. We don't know the numbers because they're mail-in ballots or they were very large numbers that came in on election day. And they're overwhelmingly in two counties, Clark County, which is Las Vegas and Washoe County, which is Reno. The ballots there so far are trending very strongly. The remaining ballots are trending very strongly towards the Democrats. So there's a very good chance for Catherine Cortez Masto, the Democratic candidate, the only Latina in the U.S. Senate, to come from behind. She's currently behind by about 16,000 votes in the state. But if she wins kind of 60, 40, the remaining ballots, she would win as the senator. And so there's a there's good chance there. If I was betting on it, I would bet on her no guarantee, but I would bet on her. Um, Steve Sisolak, the, the governor, is has got a tougher hill to climb. Uh, he's a Democratic governor. And so there's a decent chance that we'll see something in that state that we've seen multiple places, which is a ticket split where one candidate of one party wins at what, in the governor's race and another candidate of another party wins in a, in a Senate race. So there's a decent chance that's going to happen in Nevada. And my top priority is the, um, the Senate race there. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful there. In Arizona, 71% of the votes are in, and Arizona takes a long time to count their votes. Most of them are in Maricopa County where uh, 80% of the vote is, that's Phoenix in Arizona. And um, they have announced today that they will not have the vote done until Monday, which is legally fine. It's the state law there. It frustrates some body of people, uh, but it's it's coming along. Uh, they're counting it and they will make uh, some they, they drop results between kind of 5 and 8 p.m. each day, just like Washington State kind of has a certain period of time when they announce results. Um, and so in this next half hour, we might get some results out of Arizona. Right now, um, in the Senate race, Mark Kelly's got a 5% advantage, and it looks like he's going he's gonna to come through. Looks like he's going to come through. All right. If he comes through, that means we go to Georgia for the runoffs with Georgia either being the 50th or the 51st Democratic vote in the Senate. So if Arizona comes through with Mark Kelly, then we're going to Georgia with the chance to get the Senate. If Kelly and Cortez Masto both win, then we go to Georgia with the chance for Raphael Warnock to be the 51st Democratic vote in the Senate, which, of course, is, is what we hope. That's for. ideal. That's what we want. 
Yeah, yeah that's what, that's what we want. Because if if he's the deciding Senate vote, then the Republicans are going to be able to marshal more of their their voters just for control of the Senate, um, and that's gonna that's gonna boost their numbers on election day. So we do not, we don't want to have to do that. Uh oh. So here I'm going to sh- introduce someone to you on Twitter, folks. Uh, this this person right here is uh looks like the count from sesame street that's what this the looks count like. from sesame okay. street right the the arizona abc 15 data guru his name is archer garrett um and every year in election period of time he is the the expert on arizona data trustworthy okay for the people on who are going to listen to this on the podcast david quick fast pulled up a twitter tab as he as he does uh, and now we're looking at this person's Twitter account, and they have the the they have the count from Sesame Street as the as their Twitter image. Okay, go ahead. I think yeah, his handle is at Garrett G A R R E T T underscore Archer A R C H E R. So I'm just going to scroll down and show a little bit here. Like here's he posted some results from Flagstaff uh, an hour ago. 12,000, oh, 2,991 votes just came in, so about 3,000. The breakdown was 69% for Katie Hobbs to 31 for Kari Lake, and Mark Kelly 69% to to, uh, to Blake Masters 29%. Really good results for the Democrats today. Uh, 1,100 votes just came in from Santa Cruz. Those are seven plus 70% for the Democrats today in Arizona. Um, here's from Pima, which is Tucson. 65% for Katie Hobbs, 66% for Mark Kelly, 66% for Adrian Fontes. I want to come back, put a pin in it, make sure we talk about secretaries of state. Okay. Um, and then here's some results from Prescott. Here's a little, this is more Republican, 66% for Kari Lake, 63% for Blake Masters. So this is the person I follow on Twitter to track the Arizona results. And what he does is he has this little phrase called incoming. Whenever there's data incoming, he says Maricopa incoming or Pima incoming. And like the adrenaline starts to surge among people on on Twitter. And so Maricopa incoming in the next hour in for there. But it's looking good in Arizona for Mark Kelly, for sure. For the secretary of state candidate, Adrian Fontes, looks like he's going to win and get the most votes in the state okay the arizona democratic secretary of state not a small matter to have somebody we can trust counting the votes in that state hey can i just really quickly so you um just for the the good of the order here how how many hours a day do you spend on twitter you think uh in a time like this yeah Twitter is pretty much on all day long for me. Is it so you're like walking around in the phone? You got like you're doing this, and it's like con- it's constant. You're constantly checking it. You're like cooking with one hand. You're walking the dog. You're and it's just boom right there. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 as present as music might be in the background to people, right? Okay. All it right. is like we often all have those kind of like uh, those comfort pieces of our lives music television being on a friend's voice a spouse love whatever twitter is my 
go-to piece in this period of time. And, mm-hmm. and I have all of these people I follow who then link to others. Like I'm following the Lauren Boebert race, you know, down to the, to mm-hmm. the every, vote, every vote. So yeah, it's a constant presence in time like this, which is ironic, well, not ironic, but it's interesting because Twitter is, is going down the tubes before our I was video. just going to say, we, we'll unpack that. that. There needs to be a different, I'm going to put a pin in this for later, Julia. We need to hear David's opinion about Twitter as it as it burns to the ground. Maybe after we win this uh, this Senate race here. Yeah, let's we'll bring in Hanson Hossein, who's done a couple yeah. things with us, right? To talk yeah. about Twitter because you know, real serious, Twitter is burning down before our very eyes right now. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of glad about that in one hand because it, it's 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 got this addictive component. On the other hand, disinformation is just going to go through. It's going to like quadruple. Yeah. And it's such a good, I mean, to, to, to your point and what you're showing us here is such a good source of to the minute information from the people who are in charge of, of data or stories or whatever. So um, it's sad to see it go this way. I just had to ask because I, I, I think some people want to keep up with you. And so um, I'm kind of giving them a little some some little push here. They can so it's constant. You got to have your phone on you all the time if you want to keep up with David Domkey. If you want to count the counts tweets, you got to keep your phone on you all the time. Julia, Julia, I know you're doing this, but there's a couple other things I want to highlight for the podcast. Go ahead and then and and get your reaction to this as well. Okay. Yes. So here, I want to put a picture up on the screen. And again, on the podcast, you can't see this. But I want to give you all 30 seconds to digest this visual. And then tell me, Julia and Charles, what you notice. So this is a visual of every county in the United States by whether they voted for majority Republican or majority Democrat. So every county in the country is colored either red or blue on this visual. Uh, they're actually i'm sorry it's not counties it's congressional districts that's what it is it's congressional districts so montana's got one the dakotas each have one alaska's got one so every congressional district is either red or blue and that's as of the results right now at 5 45 p.m pacific time uh, on november 10th julia what do you notice Okay, well, I noticed East Coast and West Coast, blue. Um, I'm noticing a lot of pockets of, like, I don't know what's going on in, like, the center of the U.S. here. There's, like, pockets of blue everywhere. I, I, I mean, I imagine those are where the larger urban cities are, since urban cities tend to vote Democratic. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, Deborah, Deborah said it the best. Blue is where most people live. <laughs> yep, Charles, you yeah. see different than that? Uh, it's a, no, I, well, the, my first thought was that the quote, um, because um, Republicans always try to pull up the map at the end of every election cycle, um, and then all the all the um, intelligent people say land doesn't vote. So I, that's the first thing I, I thought of. <laughs> um, uh, what's going on with New Mexico? There, it's like a, it's like a, it's the the, the entire state is is blue. It looks like the Northeast. It's interesting. Yes, three congressional districts in New Mexico, the highest Latino population in the country uh, as a percentage mm. of the state. And the Dems barely flipped one of the districts and then held the other two comfortably. They also have the governor's office and the Senate. Um, so New Mexico, like California and hopefully and Arizona and over time, hopefully Texas, 
is uh, an indication of where if the Democrats can continue to appeal to Latino Americans, where that where those states can go. Right. Okay. One thing I want to leave uh, show you uh, just you've already highlighted, Julia, but if you look at the East Coast and the West Coast, we have a lot more blue there than in the rest of the country. And in fact, on the, the West Coast, where we live, of course, in or many of us live in Seattle, um, if you go down the coast from the Canadian border to Mexico, every single house district on the coast right now is blue. It's the first time it's ever happened. Wow, really? Wow. First time ever? Yep. Wow. That's amazing. That's incredible. Okay, one other thing I want to talk about is uh, abortion. Were you going to talk? Were you going to bring that up to Julia and ask us a little bit about kind of the, the way that it went? Yeah, so I would say one major issue for a lot of voters this election season was abortion. Abortion was essentially on the ballot. Um, I made another podcast about this if anyone wants to listen. <laughs> but yes, abortion was essentially on the ballot. That really, um, I think, flipped a lot of Republicans, actually, to make them vote Democrat for the first time in several years. Um, how did that play out state by state? Uh, so just today in Montana, they had a ballot initiative that was about abortion that got decided. There was enough votes so that they were able to officially call it. And the, the pro-choice side of that uh, initiative won. So in every single state where there's been a, a, an abortion rights ballot initiative in the, in the last uh, <clears throat> six months, the pro-choice side has won. That includes in this election, two Republican states, Montana and Kentucky. All right. The pro-choice ballot initiative in Kentucky ran 20 points ahead of Rand Paul, who won re-election comfortably in the state as a Republican. And yet that state voted for the pro-choice side of this. Um, so here I want to show you this, uh, another visual image I came prepared to show you. Um, this one is from the New York Times. Um, this is the state of Michigan where we did some work. and just as a real simple graphic to look at every green county in this state is a county that voted for the republican candidate for governor tudor dixon and also voted to approve the referendum enshrining abortion rights in the state constitution so they voted republican for the governor a very conservative republican governor who's who wanted no exceptions at all for abortion rights and yet voted for the referendum uh, in, in a majority vote in that county to protect abortion rights, to protect choice, reproductive choice. It's a remarkable issue that cuts across ideological lines in significant ways. It can't overcome the partisan vote when you get to candidates yet, it can't. But if the Democrats are have a, a, a any wisdom about them, they will figure out a way to harness that as an identity element of the Democratic Party. It's like this, we're the identity, we're the place where freedom is taken care of. Bodily freedom, uh, reproductive freedom, freedom to vote, freedom to marry. And I think that's something that we got to pay attention to. And Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, the Democratic governor there, incoming Democratic governor, had the best message on this in the country, I think. So if folks want to go out and take a look at it. He ran on freedom, the Democrats as the party of freedom. And I think when you look at freedom to marry, freedom of reproductive choice, freedom from government control, 
right? That's what we're talking about here. Freedom to vote. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the new um, governor of Maryland to African-American um, talked about um, also like using words and reclaiming words uh, like great, you know, America is great and we're going to make it greater. He talked about that. He talked about patriotism. Um, that, that is how you, you, you pull people from the middle and you pull those independent voters. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up is when you brought up Michigan, I thought of the voters in Pennsylvania that I talked to, and you probably talked to some of these when you knocked on doors in Michigan, where they actually pride themselves in, in, in voting across the ticket. And, yeah. and they, that is how they prove their independence from the system and from, from the two party um, thing is they will always look for ways to, to zigzag across the ballot intentionally. So I, I, I think that even if, even if voters find themselves values wise in those places, uh, firmly on one side of the ballot, because they do not want to be beholden to a party, they will find a, a way to vote for somebody else across the ballot. Absolutely. So I do want to leave some time for our folks to have questions here, but I just want to leave off on the question um, that I mentioned briefly earlier, but what can we do uh, as a community, as CP members to help out the remaining races in Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia? Are we planning on taking a trip out to the Georgia for the runoffs? Yes. So I'll just say about Nevada and Arizona, we're helping to cure ballots. We're helping to cure We're doing that right now. Yep. Today, yeah. Today, yesterday, the day of the election. Tomorrow. Julia, you you led some of that. Um, that was kind of impromptu. I you got. I heard that this happened organically, where you got <laughs> invited in to the phone bank, and then now you own it. Is that how that went? Um, I don't. I, I don't own it. I I helped out, but <laughs> okay. I helped out. I David owns the phone banks. So that's that's all of him. But I'm happy to help. You know, I'm okay. right hand man. So yeah. No, we, we, we appreciate that. I just wanted to, I, I wanted to call it the, how you're flexible and how you just kind of like, we're like, whatever I got to do, I'll do it. Um, I love that. So we are definitely going to Georgia. We are 100% going to Georgia. We are um, just today. Actually, it might be on the calendar right now. Ben, let me know if it's going to go up tonight. Uh, we've got some phone banks that we're going to get from, from fair fight. Fair fight stood up the first, uh, reputable phone banks tonight. Okay, it's going up tonight. Phone banks and text banks are coming from fair fight, fight uh, for the runoff. And that's, those are the, the easiest things to stand up. Those are the first things. Those are literally just to tell voters that there's an election coming up. It's to tell them, hey, listen, you gotta vote again. You gotta get ready for that. Do you have the things you need to vote? Not all the details about Warnock um, and all that, but just to talk to voters and let them know. And this is like, this is the initial touch. So you, everyone here will be able to jump in on that. Um, we are also working on a direct tie to the Warnock campaign. We have a few feelers out. If you follow me on Twitter or uh, the Common Power, you saw me tweet directly at the Warnock campaign um, and then tweet again, <laughs> making a sell, making a pitch, um, putting us out there so that they know exactly who we are. We're also working through our contacts in Georgia through the B campaign, through the coordinated. Uh, to get connected to people and also uh oh yeah there you go if you want to jump on the on the uh the fair fight directly our phone banks when we host them we'll have a little bit of training beforehand and some community so we'll do it the cp way um and then there's the there's the nevada ballot curing that 
He's, David just threw in the chat, or somebody did. Thank you for doing that, Carolyn. Uh, the the other thing is that like right before this, when the news came through from Fair Fight, I was I was reminded that I that I know the the yeah. executive yeah. director of Fair Fight, uh, and so I texted her and I was like, "Hey, I need to get in touch with the Warnack campaign. Hook me up." And she was like, "Great." Um, for, no, first I said we're doing your phone banks and text banks. You got anything else? She's like, "Yes, I'll send you all the rest of the things I've got." And right before, uh, right right before this came on, she sent me a contact directly in the Warnock campaign and with the Dem, the Dem coordinated campaign. So we've got those direct lines. What's probably going to happen? Um, and I got Puya on another mission, uh, finding an organizer ground level. And this is exactly how we like to do it. What's going to happen is that. Tomorrow, all the people on the coordinated or Warnock's campaign are gonna get into a call because right now they're probably having daily calls. They're gonna get to a call and three different people are gonna say that this weird organization from Seattle reached out and reached out through multiple channels and we gotta we gotta give them the time of day. We gotta we gotta prioritize them and that's what's gonna happen. So um, if we get prioritized immediately. And when I say prioritized, I mean, they are ready to activate us and they know what we can do because they've talked to B, they've talked to Fair Fight, and they know that we show up on the ground and we show up well. Or they talk to folks in Virginia or Wisconsin or Arizona or Nevada. We've, we've built up quite a reputation, actually. If they know exactly what we can do and they want to activate us right away, which now it's starting to feel like that did not feel like that this morning Puya, when we talked about this, but it feels like that right now. Um, we could go into Georgia next week. You know, Charles, I want to, I want to use that as the moment to highlight the Monday event. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So here's, this is the front page of our web of our website and uh, Wole, one of our great marketing folks has put up, this was the flyer for the event we're doing right now. But over here is a, a Monday event. So on Monday, Charles and the fieldwork team will have put together details on Georgia and our work there. So right now you're right. hearing it in little bits, like, hey, we're putting together the phone bank and we're reaching out. This is the the sausage making that is common power. All right. That's we, right. This is how we, we build it. And give us a couple days and by Monday evening, Charles and Puya and Ben and Kylie and Maria and the rest of the Victoria and the rest of the fieldwork team will have a really good sense of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. So Monday evening at five o'clock Pacific time, and we'll be coming to you live from either Atlanta or from next door in Alabama, because we're going down there for a, a special event in Selma, Alabama on Tuesday That's right. that we got to be there for. Um, but Charles, let me just kind of drill down as you're saying that there is a, very good possibility that either starting next week or really shortly after that, we're going and we're going to be on the ground there. Yeah, there's a there's a, a high likelihood that um, me and a few of of our our toughest door knockers are going to be knocking on doors um, as we welcome in Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's what that's what it looks like. And if that if they're going to be working during that time, then then so are we. Whatever Georgia is doing, we're going to be doing right alongside them because that's that's what we're committed to do. Um, this is a part of the ethos of common power where, where we believe that blue states 
like ours that have secure democracies that have great voting rights laws feel like we owe the people in the south for the rights that we have they're the ones that fought and bled for these for these rights and we were the first to enact them fully um and so there's there's a debt there's a debt to pay and so we are gonna we're gonna follow their lead and we're gonna go down there as soon as they need us great well we will stay posted um check for updates in your emails and your mobilize and i'll i'll end the podcast here and let open the floor for some questions david and charles let's do it all right there's already some questions